Hi, I'm Miguel Neves, the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings, and this is the Skiff Meetings Podcast, where we discuss the future of business events with some of the most fascinating people working in events today. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jamie Bennett, Managing Director EMEA at PCMA, and also Managing Director for EMA, the Event Marketing Association in the UK. Transparent and authentic leadership is the theme of this podcast episode. And in this conversation, we talk about things like starting with why when it comes to event planning and design, the importance of creating a safe and welcoming environment at events, the challenge of doing business across regions with multiple countries and cultures, the need for consolidation in business events, something that will lead to a more sustainable sector, why transparent and authentic leadership is so important, and the question of talent and what it takes to create a multi-generational ecosystem. Hope you enjoy this conversation and don't forget to check out the other episodes of the Skiff Meetings podcast. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia, a city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future. Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Skiff Meetings podcast. I'm delighted to have with me Jamie Bennett. Uh, Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Miguel. Jamie, um, uh, we we were at PCMA EMEA convening or convening EMEA in Copenhagen together. Congratulations on a great event. Uh, and of course, your leadership with PCMA for the last few years. Um, but so I wanted to start, like I start every podcast episode, by getting a little bit of a personal introduction about uh, who you are, where you come from, and then kind of your evolution in this world of business events. And I'd love to start wherever you kind of first discovered business events, conferences, events, anything like that, your, your first kind of memory of that, and then how you evolved from there. Perfect. So I kind of had two introductions, if I'm honest, Miguel. One was my uncle was the director of sales for a large hotel group um, in the UK um, since I was early kind of um, 10, 11, coming into being a teenager. And I was always very intrigued by his work because I visited him a lot in England. Um, and then the first event I ever ran was my high school formal. Um, and then I got a kind of taste for it. So he really introduced me to it because I would always ask him, what type of events and why do people meet and who are your clients? So he really piqued my interest at an early age. Interesting. And then you went straight into planning. How did that kind of come about? Well, I didn't. I originally wanted to be a barrister um, in law. So I did my studies in law and my side work was within a hotel uh, group in England. Um, and then when I realized that I didn't really want to do law, I got a job in a travel and events agency. Um, and that was really the start of it some 18 years ago. 
Interesting. And I know you spent some time at the Web Summit, I believe, and you had a, quite a few different kind of stints at the start of your career. And then you were at a conference Partners International, I believe, right? Yeah. I So from 18 years ago, I kind of did a bit of a 360. I worked, started off in hotels, went into events agency. I then cut my teeth when I came back to Northern Ireland um, in PCO. I worked for a publication um, in exhibitions. I then worked for AV production, event management, before I went to Convention Bureau, then Conference Partners International, then the Web Summit, um, or vice versa. So yeah, I, I did a bit of a 360. I was always very curious and intrigued by the supplier versus planner versus um, leadership roles within our industry. So tried to do many. The only place I haven't worked, um, although I've delivered many of events and meetings at, is a convention center. Very interesting. And I think, you know, we talk about the industry as being this cohesive thing, or sometimes we do, but all these businesses kind of operate in different kind of ways and they have different clients and different kind of connections. When you kind of moved through all these different businesses, did you, was it easy to just sort of pick up where you left off and kind of understand the market or did they require some kind of like deeper like understanding of the different clients and supply chains and everything? Like how hard was it to figure all that out? Um, some was harder than others, I have to admit. Obviously, early stage, it's a little harder because when you're only starting out, you always, well, I did, I can only speak for me, you always think you know more than you do. Um, so at the early stage, it was a little harder because you would go in with an awareness and then you would realize that that was not what it's like to be a PCO or convention bureau or planner or um, supplier. So I like a challenge and I like to understand before you respond or before you can level up in certain areas. So it varied. And then I think being within the PCO sphere and a convention bureau sphere, you work with your potential clients or suppliers. So it just gave me a really good foundation experience in terms of who the stakeholders organizations work with from a city or from a planner perspective. So um I'd say I've been very fortunate to hold positions that I have in multiple different markets. So one, one simple question is how, when you speak to family and friends that don't know the industry, how do you actually explain to them what you do? Because I mean, you're in a particularly tough role, right? You're representing, you're the European leader for an association that represents planners and then the kind of the business events ecosystem, but that's not an easy thing to explain, surely. No, it's definitely not. The good news at this stage is, though, most of my friends are now within the industry. So um, that that part's a little easier. Um, for my family, it does vary. And some still don't really understand it. But um, a couple of months ago, we were at a family event and I overheard my uncle, who is in his late 70s, uh, say that I travel the world and create events and gatherings for other people who also create events. Um, which was a big shift from being a party planner. Um, so uh, that that's good that after all this time that has started to change. But for me, I think when I try to describe it to others or friends of friends is that we build communities and platforms to advance the business events industry. And that's done in multiple different ways, whether it's education or knowledge sharing, showcasing current or future trends, um, and then trying to explain that when you gather people, whether it's for 
a medical congress or whether it's our industry as a whole, that socially and economically, it does have a positive impact um, within destinations, within cities, within countries. So it's not easy, but then I don't think our industry is easy. Thank you for a very politically sound answer. I think there's a lot of the good, good sound bites in there. But okay, so events, meetings, business events, everything that we kind of, uh, we, we like to focus on. It sounds like you think that they're special, right? There's a certain magic that comes through events, right? And certain kind of possibilities that that, that, that appear when, when they when they run well. But what is it, do you have any sort of clear ideas of what makes an event sort of go from good to, to great? You know, that idea of what makes an event exceptional that then can have these positive impacts on society, on financial, you know, all these different things. Um, I do, and um, there's probably lots um, of things to be fair for me when you're looking at an event or you're in an event you can tell how it's been planned and how it's been thought out so for me any events or gatherings that we're aiming to do or looking at you have to start with the why and I think this was one of the biggest things that came up in 2020 and 2021 people were running events just for running events, whether it was virtually, um, well, it was virtually then. So for me, the why is the most important piece in terms of why are you running it? Who and what are you solving for? So that's the starting piece. And then the end piece is kind of the output or the outcome of the event. What does success look like? And then the piece in the middle is the magical piece, which is the execution and how you deliver it. So that's probably more of a, strategic um, operational answer to your question, Miguel. But I think as we look across those things, you have to create a safe environment and you have to create a safe environment where people feel that they belong, that they can contribute, but that also challenge them. So it either challenges their thinking or their approaches and gives them free reign or an environment where they can push themselves out of their comfort zone. They can say what they wouldn't ordinarily say because they don't want to be judged or they don't want to have negative feedback. So the environment and that experience piece is so important. Um, but you can't also create that unless you work out why you're running the event and what success looks like. Um, so that 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 safe environment for me is really, really important. And that goes not only across the people participating and who are at the event, but that's also the team because you need a group of very passionate and committed people who understand what success looks like, understands why they're running the event or how they contribute to it, and that they too can experiment or challenge themselves or is the or each other. And that's where the magic happens, where you bring people into a space and you give them a topic or a subject and you create that environment where they can call it out as to, so what, what does this mean for me or not? Um, and that's how I believe we can grow. Do you find that the events that we're planning now, you mentioned the COVID pandemic, are better or are better at this? Are we, are we more conscious of you know, running events uh, better? Um, I think it's a it's a very good question. Um, I don't know if we're better at it or the environment has just changed. I think 
we're we're working in multiple environments now. We had the metaverse, we had in-person, digital, virtual, we have AI, we have reality, non-reality. So I think we're operating in a very different world. And I think we have to be relentless in considering the user experience and the person that's coming to that event, whether they've never been before, whether they're middle management, whether they're executive level. And that's really tough. That's tough to look at those personas and those people. But if we continuously do that, I do think we can evolve our events and make them better. I do believe there are too many events um, in our industry. Um, some are better than others. Some I haven't attended. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question. I don't, and I also don't know if it's better sameness or we're just delivering in a different way based on our audience's needs. It sounds like we still have a, a way to go, right? So I think we're, I guess, I, I, for what I hear you saying is we're more conscious of it and probably because of our environment has changed and that different opportunities have changed, but there's still a way to go, right? There's still room for improvement and it's good to yeah. be conscious of these things. And I think for us, there's always room for improvement. If you believe your event was perfect, then you need to get out of events because it's <laughs> never going to be perfect and you're never going to meet the needs of everyone, but also that you're okay with someone saying that didn't really work for me. And then maybe in six months, the penny drops and what you had in a session actually impacts that person um, or helps that person. So you can't deliver for everyone at that time, but if if you do it in the most authentic, value based way, I think it all it all comes good in the end. Yeah, the serendipity and the kind of I guess somewhat randomness of events is not something you can necessarily control, right? There's always things that happen, and and sometimes really good things that happen, other times not so good, but that you know, hopefully kind of do those or have those impacts and have those positive impacts. Absolutely. So, so I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with PCMA, um, but want to start kind of where you first heard about PCMA and how you kind of got involved in PCMA and then and then kind of into your uh, job role. No worries. So I actually first heard about PCMA because I read Convene um, and I did an interview with them back in, I think it was 2016. So that's what introduced me to them. And then obviously with the initiatives they ran within Europe and globally 20 in their 20s um, and Sheriff spoke at some IAPCO events. That's what piqued my interest even more in understanding them as an organization. So when the opportunity um, as the opportunity that I'm currently in came up, I really thought about, okay, based on my experience and based on the roles I've had in the organizations I've had, could I actually make a positive impact in this role? And that's what really attracted me to it because we are delivering for our community and for our members and non-members and students. So I felt based on my experience, having worked across convention bureau and planners, I could understand some of the pain points or challenges our community had, and then really create platforms or opportunities to develop across EMEA. Um, so, uh, yeah. So when, when you joined, what did PCMA in Europe or EMEA kind of look like? What did they do and, and you know, how has that changed since? 
Yeah. So um, PCMA in Europe previously, first of all, had one employee um, and they ran an annual event called the European Influencer Summit. Um, today, we actually have eight um, staff members based in Europe. Some are delivering for EMEA, some are delivering globally, whether it's Convene or whether it's our head of global sustainability um, or education. So it's changed somewhat in terms of PCMA's investment in the region and how we deliver in the region. So we took a new path in terms of Europe for Europe and now EMEA for EMEA because we know EMEA is Middle East and Africa as well. And we are continuing efforts to grow those regions as well as just Europe. Um, we rebranded the annual event um, to convene in EMEA and we wanted to really make it the nexus of business events where people at various different levels in their career and within their organizations could come, could learn, could collaborate, could contribute um, and really build this multi-generational ecosystem. And then earlier on this year, we acquired the Event Marketing Association, which again has grown Europe and grown um, the region more. So now um, we have a more decentralized approach within EMEA um, and then using the talent and the infrastructure that we have at headquarters to help us facilitate um, those things globally. And so you've run, I think, three convening EMEA events, right? It was Lausanne, Vienna and Copenhagen, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. And then you have Barcelona coming up next year around the same time. So September. Barcelona in yeah. September, stroke October 24. And what other events or activities are you doing? Because I mean, I, I come from the MPI uh, side of the world. I was on the board and I know that MPI has a number of chapters in Europe, but PCMA hasn't taken the chapter approach in Europe, right? You're taking a different approach, but you have other events. It's not just about one annual event, right? There's other things. Can you take me through that? Absolutely. So. Uh, Convening Me is obviously our annual flagship event. Um, in addition to that, we have quarterly meetups, either at other events or virtually. Um, and we also have PCMA and EMA Labs, which are starting next month. Um, the first location is in London. Um, and we have other circles and groupings, whether it's on particular topics or subjects for the community to come together. We don't have a chapter model. Um, will that change? Um, honestly, Miguel, I don't know. The reason we don't have it is based on the community's feedback and them wanting a convergence of people gathering, not just based on geolocation, but based on interest and need or skill or challenge. Um, and I'm hoping with the labs and with other circles and groupings that we can evolve over the coming months and years that will only grow that because I personally believe that when you gather people from different locations or different sectors or create that convergence, that's really where that premeditated serendipity or even more magic can happen. And take us through the labs. What do they look like? And, and these circles, are these online things? How does that work? So the labs are in person um, and they're based on a particular topic or subject. And then it's a workshop architecture in terms of how you approach those, what that means for you. Um, in terms of the circles or roundtables, they're virtual. So they could be on a particular topic. They could be on um, a particular area, whether it's women in leadership, whether it's sustainability, um, whether it's medical meetings or whether it's AI. So 
the content and the approaches vary dependent on the groups. Sounds really interesting. And the labs, from what I understand, are a little bit more open-ended. So they're more yeah, they're more open-ended um, and they normally take the form of a half day or a full day um, experience and they are invite only. Okay. And they're at different locations around Europe, or at least that's the plan, right? Yeah, different locations. So we've had many in APAC and we've had many in LATAM as well. Um, and then we will be rolling out an annual um, labs plan for Europe for next year. Interesting. So what about the Middle East and Africa? Because we were at um, convening EMEA and from the press release with, um, sorry, the press conference with Sheriff, etc. It was pretty clear that, at least for now, the idea is that the convening EMEA will be a European based event and then possibly other events happening in the other regions. Talk to me a little bit about how you're approaching the other regions, because that's a big remit, right? So Europe, I think, is, is big enough as it is. But then if you can include Middle East and Africa, you could be talking, you know, multiple continents, right? Yeah, it definitely is. So convening EMEA is now a global event, albeit based in Europe. So this year we had 45 countries in attendance. I would imagine next year would be the same. Um, and that will continue at the moment. We will be going out for 2025 locations. Um, but for the Middle East and Africa, again, as you said, they're they're big uh, locations. Um, our approach has to vary based on the need within that area and what we can value wise provide to them. So that could and we are exploring smaller meetings or smaller groups. Um, we've done a number of advisory boards um, within the Middle East. Um, and we are exploring other micro events, you may call them, um, in Africa or the Middle East as well. So how that plays out into 24 and 25 will depend. Um, but we are continued. We have a continued commitment um, to providing value for those regions and creating platforms either within their location or outside of it that they too can share and grow. We've done a number of virtual events um, with some of our partners in Africa, as an example, that have been both only supplier events that were held online, but also with universities and institutes as to how we can really engage with future talent. Um, our membership for students is completely free and that's irrelevant of where you're located in the world. So it's just building that awareness of that so that those young professionals can really engage now because they are our future. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. I know you said um, you don't really have exact plans, but do you have any sort of vision of what you'd like it to look like in, let's say, five years time, something like that? In terms of EMEA or in terms of events or? Let's go EMEA. You know, what, 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 what would an event look like? What would you be doing in the Middle East and, and Africa regions? Um, so, OK, I've not had that question before. So let me have a little thing about <laughs> five years from now. Um, I think based on the the data and the insights that we have from each of those regions 
the Middle East and Africa would vary based on where they're at and also their infrastructure. So in five years from now, it could look like we have an event per quarter in Africa, but a smaller group um, of people that we either bring international attendees into that is more curated, that can assist, learn from Africa, but also that Africa can learn from them as well. Um, for the Middle East, um, it might be larger. It might only be one event per year. If I'm honest, Miguel, it's really hard to say, dependent on how everything evolves um, and how we create platforms for people from all over the world to gather, whether it's virtual or in person. So it is a bit of a tough question because we don't know what the future holds, um, but also we're not going to force anything. We're not going to deliver something just for the sake of having an event. We, back to your earlier question in terms of the why and the outcome, that's really important for us and especially within the EMEA region as we grow and as we cater for the needs of our current and future communities, we want to do that in a really intentional, authentic way that we're not forcing anything before it's time. Absolutely. No, and I, I appreciate it. it's a it's a tough question, but it's always interesting if you know if there's a vision or if there's a sort of like um pin on the map or something like that. And when we talk about Africa, I mean I understand the Middle East is very focused on on the big kind of you know cities that are there. But when we talk about Africa, are we talking about South Africa? Are are there other areas that are sort of more interesting or where you have more where members present? Yeah, our main members um, at the moment are South Africa um, based on how they're um, delivering business events and how they're investing and growing. That that obviously may change. It's a huge, huge continent. Um, yeah. So uh, again, it could evolve, but at the moment it's predominantly South Africa. And is the sort of change about... Um... Obviously, venues are important, right? Having the conditions, having the places, but also about having sort of planners in the region, right? Because if it's a, if it's a supplier only region, then it then there's an imbalance there, and that's quite hard to manage from a from an association perspective. Is that sort of one of the concerns or one of the factors that you kind of monitor? Um, it can be a contributing factor for the members we have in South Africa. There is a good mix of supplier and planner. Um, the planners are operating within their own countries as opposed to outside of it. So if we were to look at a micro event as an example, maybe we bring in international planners who started off as national planners in their own environments. Um, and I think that comes down to content and approaches as to what we want to create or what we want to offer to those members or communities and how we could create something that isn't quantifiable by way of growth or knowledge or cultural um, experiences. Yeah, you, you when you said planners, I think you you made me really kind of realize that obviously we talk about planners, but then when they're when they're only focusing on, on incoming events, right? Then they're also planners, but they really need the external business to make things work. And I think that's where it becomes tricky, right? You want to make sure you have the, kind of the both sides of that equation. Absolutely, there's national planners, there's international planners. Um, yeah, it, it can be tricky, but it's a lot of a lot of the challenges and the solutions that planners are looking for. There are definitely similarities. It's just how you scale those or how you bring that thread together that you can showcase how they can learn from each other. Absolutely. So I want to talk a bit about learning and um, 
little bit about your processes in terms of finding speakers, finding the right content. And, and I'd like to focus specifically on, on your remit, right? Like the European region. It, I don't know how different it is from how PCMA handles the, the larger conventions or the events in the US or, or North America. But I'd love to understand sort of what your process is, what your strategy is for kind of getting the right content to the members. Perfect. So for um, we have an annual content strategy within the EMEA region. Um, and we build that based on data and insights, not only from our events within the region, but also outside of the region and multiple touch points throughout the year. So every year we set out that content strategy, which also feeds into convening EMEA. One area is future, and that will remain a continual um, content uh, pillar for the foreseeable. And then in terms of how we work back and how we select speakers or contributors, there's kind of two to three different approaches. One is looking at the personas and the attendees we have at the event, their current challenges, their future challenges, what trends we believe are going to impact them, um, and exploring what speakers or environments and content themes that we need to develop to meet their needs. Then there's the audience generated. So what do we know is happening within the industry and how do we go out to our planners or suppliers and ask them to contribute to that content, whether it's on case studies, whether it's on successes, failures, um, approaches, research studies um, or not. And then the third piece is really the invited non-business events industry related speakers and we find those in a multitude of different ways Miguel through our own research through attending other events outside of our sphere through recommendations um, and again it kind of lends into the content strategy so this year it was across belonging impact and future um, and we didn't in previous years we maybe had a keynote or an invited guest speaker on one of those themes, whereas this year, each of our keynotes kind of touched upon future impact or belonging as part of their um, remit and as part of their main stage. So it's um, it's really looking at the audience generated piece and then external sectors and spaces where we can bring in people to really challenge mindsets as opposed to change them so that they go away thinking about things differently or approach it or test it in a different way. And do you see any significant difference from the kind of global or North American approach to the European approach? Um, I don't think it's necessarily the same based on the size and based on the region. Um, obviously, our event is much smaller than convening leaders, which is thousands. Um, and Again, based on the audience and who we're trying to serve for, I think convening to me is more complex because of the number of countries and the number of different levels that we have at it. Um, but we, as an organization as a whole, are relentless in making sure that we're bringing adjacent spaces and sectors into our events and education, because that is what ne that's what's needed for us to really explore new business models or approaches. So that I believe is uniformed and enterprise-wide. It sounds like having all the different countries and cultures in Europe is, is great for having different perspectives, but it's also has more challenges because you have to you know, cater to all these different perspectives or you know, trying to find the right thing to, to discuss. 
it comes with its challenges. But I think, like I'd said before, just having an authentic or a transparent approach, there's things that we will try and we'll fail. And we just have to be open and honest about it and feel quick and move on. But there's also things that will be a success that we can scale or evolve or change. So I think that remains the same. Right. So I want to kind of zoom out a little bit and talk about big picture. Um, obviously, you know, we're a few now hopefully removed from the global COVID pandemic, things like that. But there's always challenges in the industry. And I wondered if there's any bigger challenges that are sort of <clears throat> top of mind and in your discussions on a day to day basis that, that you'd like to, I don't know, talk about, find solutions for, be part of the solution in some way. Um, so I think we have a couple of challenges. Um, the climate crisis and sustainability is one. I'm not going to tackle this in this question because it is very large and broad um, and everyone's trying to solve multiple different ways. Um, but one one piece that I think, and we started to identify it even back in 2021 at Convening EMEA in Lausanne, um, because it was one of our pillars, is talent. And I think that is even more prevalent now than before. Um, we aren't necessarily perceived as an attractive industry. Um, some don't even perceive, perceive us as a professional industry like you would an occupational therapist or a lawyer or others. Um, and for me, building a multi-generational ecosystem is fundamental to any growth or success of any industry. So for me, talent is the biggest issue that we have because without new talent and new blood and new perspectives, we won't be able to evolve in the way in which we would. Um, so for me, talent is definitely that piece. I think that's a great answer and obviously something that you can at least try to uh, um, deal with or, or find solutions for in you know much more pragmatic than working out the whole sustainability and eco ecology challenge. That's that's big. Yeah. What about, is there anything in the industry that sort of, uh, I don't know, a pet peeve or something that you would like to sort of change if you had a sort of magic wand and you could kind of go, poof, okay, change that, done. Uh, wh what would you change? That's maybe a dangerous question, Miguel. Oh, um, please no. give, me, give me lots of answers. <laughs> Love this. Um, okay, if I had a magic wand, um, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier on, if I had a magic wand, what I would like to explore more as an industry is consolidation. Because I think now there is so much more than ever before. There's more events, there's more groupings, there's more associations, there's more gatherings, there's more media outlets. There's there's so much more than pre-pandemic or pre-2019. And it's good, like it's good to have different avenues and different outlets, however, it's not sustainable. And I don't believe we're doing our current or future communities any benefit or justice in giving 500 different options that are translated in a different way. So for me, it would be about consolidation and really focusing on where does value lie, but not just individual value, team value, organizational value. So if we're delivering an event or we're delivering a podcast or we're delivering different channels or different outputs that we're serving more than one thing or that we're offering more than one thing. And I think that will only come with consolidation of events or gatherings or associations or groupings. 
and not to swallow people up or not to consolidate for the sake of it. But we know that when you bring different industries or sectors or people together and you create convergence, that magic that you don't know could happen does happen. And it's where if you look at many even of the medical associations, they now over the last number of years are looking at other industries and other sectors that influence their role but that aren't necessarily people that they work with. And how do they then bring them to their events or to their gatherings or congresses or have them part of their publications to really challenge them and their approaches, whether it's technology or other pieces. So for me, consolidation would be where I would try and sprinkle my magic wand around. I'd, I'd like to go back a little bit to your to your role, actually, because, of course, you're managing director of the Event Marketing Association in the UK. So that's part of this idea of consolidation. Right. And and uh, so PCMA acquired EMEA, but it's running as its own body. Right. So it's kind of somewhat separately. But I, it sounds like you want to bring things together a bit more. Right. Like there's a there's a desire to kind of connect the dots and kind of make things more um, consolidated, as you say. Um, is that sort of part of your thinking? How how do you how are you thinking about consolidating this group that I believe really enjoys being their own group, you know, and really wants to be just corporate planners, you know, discussing corporate planner things? Absolutely. So one, it can't be forced, and the benefit of it now being operated by PCMA is that we can bring different infrastructure, global learning. We can bring additional member benefits and value not to detract from their own entity or identity. Um, so you can still have those groups of corporate event planners or association planners gather and talk about Chatham House rules, things that they only want to do within their groups. But then there's convergence or other value-based benefits where if you take SEMA as an example, EMA will be working very closely with SEMA and how EMA UK can collaborate with them and strategically work with them. Um, so there's stuff that needs to be closed door or closed group initiatives, but then there's other areas that need to have global collaboration or multi-sector collaboration. I think that that connection there between SEMA and EMEA makes a lot of, <clears throat> makes a lot of sense, right? That's that geographical separation but very much a sort of job role and content uh, similarities that can be kind of maximized there yeah so um i want to start wrapping up but I, I we talked a little bit about future generations uh and how it's you know that's one of your that's your biggest challenge that you see um would love to get your advice on what you can tell the younger generations how would you approach or what would you say to someone who's looking to build a career uh in this industry but you know, isn't sure if it's the right industry for them. How do you how do you convince them to stay? And how do you, you know, what advice for their careers would you have? In my mind, I still like to think I am the next generation, but that ship might have sealed at this stage, Miguel. Um, so in terms of what would I give maybe myself experience or advice to me then or others coming in, for me, my biggest learning has been working on yourself. And understanding who you are as an individual, your strengths and weaknesses, and where you feel you're happiest or where you feel most aligned um, with your own individual purpose or how you like to do things. So I think when you work on yourself and understand that, it gives you a whole new awareness for others or 
how you can really benefit from working with others or groupings or cultures or teams. Um, and that that goes back to being yourself. And you have to be yourself because everyone else is taken fundamentally. But also, I think it's a big challenge in our industry because you're looking at that mentor or you're looking at that person you aspire to be. So it's how you can take the good out of others you're working with to help you be better. Um, and I think if you can be authentic and be yourself and understand you, that, that's really when you attract mentors and you attract mentees and you also attract opportunities based on your approach and openness to learn, to grow, to listen and to evolve. So I didn't realize that until my mid thirties, I would say. Um, but it's something that has helped me align a lot more with my role and me as an individual. And I hope those I work with or manage or collaborate with um, can sense that too. That sounds like a, a great kind of strategy. Could you, could you give us some more like tactical of what that means? Is that sort of taking courses online and kind of studying? Is it going to events and sort of intentionally networking or is it kind of all of the above? What, what, what do you think is like a tactical for, for working on yourself? Um, it's a good question. I think it, it's a mixture. So some people hate networking. I used to be the biggest extrovert. Um, I think now I'm a secret introvert, which a lot of people wouldn't agree with um, knowing me. So it's pushing, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, but knowing when it's okay not. Knowing when, you know, if you don't want to stay up late at night when you're at a networking reception, that's okay. You know, you don't have to be all things to all men. So it's it's listening to where you feel you're at your happiest or you're aligning or, you know, if there's something you really enjoy doing, do it more or work out why you enjoy doing it. If there's something you really don't like doing, again, work out how you could collaborate with or, you know, we used to talk about native geniuses or, you know, what your main skill was. And I, it does also evolve. So some people like reading, some people like podcasts, some like audibles. I used to read a huge amount before um, the pandemic. And now I'm retraining myself to read again, because I think we've got a lot of outlets now and a lot of noise, some good noise, some bad noise. So it's hard to sometimes focus. So for me, I do what I think feels right and my gut instinct um, and explore different things, whether it's human design, whether it's podcasts, whether it's reading, whether it's profiling. Everyone needs different things and are at different stages of their own development or their own level. Um, but I also would say to be curious and ask others, you know, Miguel, you seem really confident in X or Y. Is there anything you've done to help you with that? Or, you know, some people don't ask for feedback. I think feedback is a gift if you can depersonalize it or de-emotionalize it. Um, but it's also okay for me to say all these things, which might seem very intimidating to others. And there's some days you don't want feedback or you don't want to work on yourself. So it, it's just working out your ebb and your flow and honing in on what makes you feel great. Because if you feel great and you're aligned, chances are most people around you at that time are also feeling good and aligned or they can see you in your flow and they want to maybe use that or work with that more. 
Would you say it's understanding yourself to be your best version of yourself? Yes, but I don't want it also to sound a little too fluffy because you do evolve, <laughs> you know, like some days I get up and I think, oh, you know, um, and you have to push yourself a little harder. And I think for me, it's about giving yourself permission. So give yourself permission to have a bad day or a good day or an off day, but also try new things. If some people like to go for a walk, some people like to read a book, some people escape maybe escape's not the right word in different ways but try and listen to yourself in terms of what makes you feel good but also what doesn't make you feel good and that's an awareness piece especially working remote you know we're we're building teams we're building trust in a new environment which is much harder remotely so it's okay to say to people look I'm having a bad day or I don't really know what's off today or what's on today and just listen to other people and ask them how they feel or how you feel. Um, and it takes takes habit. It takes a regularity of doing that. Um, and it can be tiring, but it's definitely, for me, I feel it's worthwhile. There's some excellent advice there for, for younger people. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Want to wrap up by asking you the same question we ask all our guests, which is, um, who would you recommend to be on the podcast? So we talked a lot about talent and we talked a lot about the future and we talked a lot about retention. So um, recently at Convening Amia, it was great to have you with us, Miguel. We had a young professional as part of one of our sessions, The Great Unspoken, which was Albert Garcia um, Sarazelles. So I would recommend that you have a chat with him because he's new to our industry um, and we need to listen to the Alberts of the world for us to have an awareness and understand as to what attracts them or keeps them or retains them or what we could be doing better or differently. I think that's a great recommendation and I will definitely follow that up and hopefully we'll have Albert on the show soon. Jamie, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. Hope the listeners also enjoyed the interview as much as I did and uh, wish you lots of success for uh, convening EMEA 2024 and all your PCMA endeavors. Thank you so much, Miguel. It was a pleasure.